everyone welcome to the 86th edition of digital foundry direct weekly this is as usual our weekly show where we discuss the latest gaming and technology news uh, not so much in the way of news this week but plenty of patches patches of so many games and we'll be talking about a great many of them uh, in this show and joining me to discuss these patches john lineman wow i can't believe we're already at 86 just feels like yesterday that we got started on this but it's, oh it's, uh, it's been fun and actually i feel like today is a perfect example of why we have df direct because we can talk about all these patches uh, and get the info out there without having to you know sink a week into doing videos on videos them, so. my goodness yeah although we are going to be doing a video on at least one of the patches yes um, um, but yes uh, and the person doing one of those videos is alex Batalia. yes that's right rich i'm here today talking about one patch at the moment uh for a different game that's not technically i don't think we're going to really talk about here but a plague tale or a requiem mm -hmm. kind of patch so i'm going to mention some of the patch changes in that video when that does come out uh, but, but, for, but here today i'm going to be talking about stuff like sack boy so get ready yeah, yeah it's the sack boy sack boy let's do it <laughs> but before we talk about patches, we've got to discuss uh, the elephant in the room of gaming discussion points at the moment, which is simply this. Um, it's been a number of comments from um, all quarters, including developers, that uh, Xbox Series S is holding back next generation gaming. This is a massive topic, and it's one where we're not going to be able to supply all of the answers because some might say that we haven't yet entered the next generation of gaming technology at the moment. We're still in what I like to call the cross-gen malaise. But even so, we've had two years now of Xbox Series S, and um, I think there are certain conclusions that can be drawn about the machine and the impact that it's having on game development based on our discussions with developers and over and above that, the actual data that we've accrued now over two years. And um, yeah, I think we should talk about that because uh, John, let's start with you first, because in theory, let's talk about basics here about what Xbox Series S is actually supposed to be delivering, which is to say that you get all of the um, uh, RDNA 2 slash DX12 ultimate features mm -hmm. within a junior console, which is to all intents and purposes identical to Xbox Series X in um, architectural terms, but has a number of cutbacks, uh, principally in terms of the GPU size. We're looking at 12, sorry, four teraflops there versus 12 in Series X. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a cut down to memory as well, where essentially 13 gigs of usable memory drops down to eight, uh, which has been slightly augmented since launch. And uh, then there's a, a pretty substantial reduction in memory bandwidth as well. So that sort of lays out the land in terms of what sets the two Xboxes apart. And I guess now we need to talk about the implications of that and what we've seen so far and what we expect going forward. Yeah, I think right now, I don't think we can say that the Xbox Series S has held anything back as far as what games have been released on the market, right? Um, because we still are very much in that cross-gen period. I mean, even high-end games that have not been cross-gen, like Microsoft Flight Simulator, they still managed to get that up and running on the Series S in a decent fashion, I would say. Uh, I think so. I think anyone pointing to current gen, current games that have just been released in the last couple of years, uh, if anything, I would say the Series S may help keep things kind of in check because if you have to ship on Series S, you know that certain decisions have to be made, right? Which in turn could potentially mean better performance on uh, Series X and PS5, actually. 
Mm-hmm. So there's potentially some good good aspects to it in that sense. But the thing that we don't know yet, and this is actually a big question mark for everything, is the impact of Unreal Engine 5. We don't know yet how this is going to shake out because a lot of developers are targeting Unreal Engine 5. They're using it now. Uh, so a lot of future games are going to be built on this technology. Obviously, Series S can use this engine. We've seen it with the Matrix demo. But a lot of the feedback we've heard from developers seems to center on things like the the memory issue and just, you know, getting everything up and working within Unreal Engine 5 if they're fully taking advantage of like Lumen and Nanite. And I guess the, the thing to consider, though, is that obviously since uh, hearing a lot of this, Epic has continued to work on and refine the engine, right? It was in early access for a while. Uh, we don't actually know the state of any real Unreal Engine 5 games currently as far as their performance targets and how the developers are getting on with it, so to speak. Uh, so Unreal Engine 5, though, it's not just Series S that's the concern. It's also the bigger consoles, right? Mm-hmm. Like hitting, delivering 60 frames per second. Is that still going to be feasible if you're taking full advantage of these features? I mean, the the leap in terms of what Lumen and Nanite can offer is significant over just about everything that's shipped so far, I would say. Uh, So we've not really seen that much in the way of consoles being pushed with ray tracing features outside of a select few games like Metro, uh, you know, Insomniac stuff. You know, they've done amazing work there for sure. I would also say Doom Eternal, you know, it's still a last gen game, but you know, the fact that everybody gets such high performance and resolution with ray traced reflections, pretty cool. Uh, Unless you're so, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. well Which is the okay, joke? well, there, <laughs> but you know, it, nothing was held back by the series S in that case, you just didn't get that mode. And it's kind of the same with uh, Sonic Frontiers, which I just finished a video on, which again, PS5 and Series X get a 60 FPS mode, which is really important. Uh, series S does not. And that was slightly confusing to me especially considering that the Xbox One X delivered a higher resolution version of the game. Uh, That's obviously right. showing that there was a kind of a GPU issue there. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's some interesting things happening. I mean, uh, I saw a headline yesterday, and I'm going to mm-hmm. quote it. Uh, Sonic Frontier players are struggling to hit 60 frames per second on <laughs> Xbox Series S. And the reason they're struggling is it runs at 30 FPS. <laughs> <laughs> there is no struggle here. I think You're struggling a, in vain. That's a, and, that's a um, Sega thing. Yeah. Sega didn't help by putting out a yeah, statement the, saying, <laughs> set your dashboard to 1080p and it will run at 60 frames per second. And it's like, you know, empirically, what? this does, does not happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, not one, the Xbox that, works. The Xbox doesn't work like that. It never no. does. Like, it doesn't do that. You have The game has to do it. But secondly, like, I tested it on my my series s it, it does nothing it's still <laughs> it's clearly down sampling and it's still 30 frames per second no change happened so ah. i'm completely baffled by that weird response from sega because it doesn't make sense in the context of well this, this is the hardware. interesting thing right there have been scenarios in the past where we've seen um series x running at 60 and series s at 30 initially cyberpunk was like that but then they added a 60 frames per second mode Mm -hmm. uh initially uh valhalla assassin's creed valhalla was like what about dying light 2 did that ever get Uh, i've I've not looked at that one recently i I feel like they added i can't remember i feel like there was talk about them adding a 60 fps mode on series s they might so i I didn't check it but so there's actually an argument that rather than the series x being held back 
the Series S is being held back because yeah. you know there's uh, there's no reason why a game that we've seen so far running at 60 uh, on Series X shouldn't run at 60 on Series S. The caveat being you've got to expect to take a big resolution hit to let that happen, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, you remember uh, Dirt 5 at launch, which right. I love that game, by the way, but you, the 120 hertz mode on Series S was like 540p or something, if I recall. Yeah, like that's... It takes a gigantic hit, but you got it, you know, if you want those frames. <laughs> yeah, like, so, like, that's one thing I want to talk about, is, like, the resolution is that, for one, we need to go back, like, two years and say, this is not a 1440p console. That is a joke, like this is like it's been so rarely 1440p titles and those that are tend to be like 30 fps um so that's like the typical lay of the land even with, the, a, the, with a couple the, exceptions small indie yeah, games yeah like i yeah I, we're obviously talking about triple <laughs> a titles we're not know, talking about like 8k indie titles or something like that you know stuff like that uh so it is not 1440p title uh 1440p console that is for certain and i think that's where we need to like say like what series s is holding back at all is like it will just be holding back in the fact that like a developer has to take into consideration the memory constraints for the console and really leverage the next gen features as a result like you need to be leveraging the ssd to like stream in way more often mm-hmm. on Xbox Series S. It's maybe actually a positive thing, which is kind of what John was getting at. Like memory management is much more important. So you're gonna have to be seeing that on Series X versions as well too. And we kind of wanna see that actually. We wanna see these next gen features being tested out. We haven't really seen much of it at all, but like the sampler streetback um, stuff uh, that Microsoft demoed at the beginning of the generation and is basically never entered conversation again. Um, that is something that will most definitely help uh, Xbox Series S. Um, any game using virtual texturing, which is UE5, for example, or even new id tech stuff. Um, rage. All, rage, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Rage, of course. That's all what I always think of when I think of virtual texturing. Um, you know, these are all things that we actually want to be seeing next-gen using, and Series S kind of forces developers to lean into them much more than they would in the past. So, in the end, I just think Series S will hold developers back in the aspect that they have to spend a lot more time to get it working to a much, you know, like to a high standard on Series S. But at the same time, it's going to be having to make concessions anyways that it's maybe not that big of a deal. Like, resolution. I really do think we're going to see a ton of sub 1080p titles on Series S as the gen goes on, just because Unreal Engine 5 is there. And we already saw what that was like with the Matrix demo, where it's like, wasn't that like also kind of like sub 720 you know like internally it's like output 1080 and it looks better of course but it's there you can see it um you know so that's kind of how i feel about it i don't feel like i think the thing that's holding back next gen much more are the last gen systems uh series s is just kind of gets the blame because it was kind of an unwanted child as the generation started. People wanted a clean slate in every aspect, not just uh, CPU and storage. They really wanted you know, the biggest GPU they could get as the baseline, and they didn't get that because Microsoft wanted this smaller machine on the market. So I feel like it's a bit of, um, I don't know what the term is, spilled milk or something like that, but it's like, it's, it's there, we have to deal with it now, and I don't think it's a really good excuse given the fact that we've seen the matrix demo at this point in time yeah yeah i mean i think what we've been saying here is that because they have to target the series s it'll probably pay off on the bigger consoles 
that's the main I, I, takeaway i think if you got to ship that. on that thing you got to put in the work to to manage this stuff better so yeah uh, it I, benefits everyone i look at metro exodus enhanced edition too that was 60 fps targeting yes it was low resolution internally but what i could imagine for a next version of a game using this uh, engine and targeting Series S is that they just kind of drop the 60 FPS mode like Rich was talking about. Mm -hmm. like you just don't get 60 FPS on Series S, but you get a higher resolution. And I think, honestly, given the market target for there, that sounds pretty reasonable to me. You have this smaller, yep. you know, mid-machine that's pretty cheap and you're attaching it to a 1080p display. 30 or even 40 FPS sounds pretty reasonable to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, I'm going to preface this by saying that I really like the Series S, but I am now moving into devil's advocate mode, where <laughs> I will be brutal. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you a very simple question, Alex, which is, yes. um, uh, I believe that when Series S was architected, they looked at the memory allocation and uh, kind of assumed that the vast consumer of memory would be textures, right? So if we move from 4K to 1440p or even 1080p, uh, the thinking was that the uh, memory requirements would drop because you don't need these super high resolution textures at lower render targets, right? Uh, however, I think it's become the case that memory is being used not just to hold textures, right? And uh, ray tracing specifically seems to be extremely memory heavy. Does that mm -hmm. present problems for the Series S? Yeah, for sure it does. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, it does to like the degree it does for anything else. Because I always kind of want to point back at the Matrix demo, which was using hardware ray tracing, and I go, they somehow managed to do that on the Series S, and that is very, very impressive after the fact. So I feel like maybe if you're going to use ray tracing on the Series S, uh, it may require concessions uh, for the memory footprint elsewhere. You may actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> to enable ray tracing, have to seriously degrade texture quality. It may not uh, line up well with the visual target of what the game is, but it's kind of like the system is forcing your hand at that point. I agree with you, Rich, that it's going to be a difficult decision there, and it does muck things up. But in the end, <laughs> based upon the Matrix demo, they somehow managed that. And I don't think the textures look mm -hmm. so bad on the Series S no. there. Um, so maybe it will just be one of those cases where... Um, Unreal Engine 5 does it well enough, but developers working on their own tech with the goal of the Series X and the PS5 memory pools, they're going to have a much harder, much harder time in this to innovate there. This raises some questions about decisions made early in development, though. I could mm -hmm. see a situation where a developer says, well, uh, we're not sure we're going to be able to pull this off on the Series S in terms of using, you know, Lumen and Nanite. So what if we just stick with the older, you know, light methods? of Unreal Engine, which are still available in Unreal Engine 5, right? Like, Yeah, for the most still... part, not all of them, but like the, I think light maps are still there. That's yeah, the only one. Yeah, still... but I, it makes you wonder if they're going to like end up skipping on certain features specifically because of this and then just build the game around that. Uh, I don't necessarily think that'll happen too much, but uh, it is something to think about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I said that I prefaced that question uh, with the fact that I really like the Series S and um, it's true, I do really like it for a number of reasons. First of all, it's the only console that actually looks like a console anymore, I'd say. <laughs> um, uh, you know, a sort of small discrete box that lives in the living room that, you know, just plays great games, right? Um, Series X is, is, you know, big. PlayStation 5 is even Novelist. bigger. 
Yeah, it's, it's you know that's just a form factor uh, form factor point. Um, the other thing is cost, um, mm-hmm. and as we're seeing in the PC space at the moment, there are going to be some extremely painful um, uh, increases in prices for components that offer increased performance. What is the ramification of that? It is basically that um, there's going to be a lot more lower end parts in the market. Uh, with extended lifespans. So game development is going to have to, uh, rather than uh, constrain and become narrower to address the Series X and PlayStation 5 footprint, it will actually act, um, there, there needs to be a greater degree of scalability mm-hmm. uh, for multi-platform projects, which are essentially all of them at this point. And um, so, yeah, basically Series S simply fits into that wider remit of um, of, of of hardware that needs to be addressed. And, um, yeah, being the kind of less desirable console, it never attracted the kind of super high um, uh, scalping premiums. I can go on Facebook Marketplace right now and buy a Series S for £150. Uh, I think even Amazon were doing uh, refurbished models for not much more. So as a way to actually make gaming accessible, it's essential, in my opinion, to have that console. Uh, because you know, prices are going up elsewhere. You know, We've already seen PlayStation 5 prices go up. Microsoft is hinting heavily that um, the series consoles and maybe its subscriptions will be going up next year. Um, I think we need to accept that, well, what can I say? Um, We're in extremely dire economic um, uh, circumstances at the moment. Uh, Supply chains are still disrupted. I'm hearing uh, reports of certain components, you know, that have seen their prices go up by an order of magnitude. Um, We're seeing the cost per transistor argument that Microsoft put forward in 2020 to to, to basically justify the existence of Series S in the first place. That is basically been borne out as well. Um, So we need the Series S. And, um, you know, in terms of whether the Series S is holding back games, you know, you might as well ask the question, is uh, Switch holding back mobile gaming, you know? Ultimately, that is that is the that is the hardware that is out there that developers need to address, and um, Series S has been a sales success. I mean, um, there was some data that leaked a while back in the UK, and I think it might have encompassed Europe as well, which was showing that it was almost a fifty-fifty split between Series S and Series X. So you can't dismiss this device anymore. You can't dismiss it for a whole bunch of reasons, and it's not going to be holding back next-gen development because. You know, it, it suggests a shifting of goalposts that isn't going to happen. What we're going to see is um, much more intelligent use of lower-end devices and uh, lower-end capabilities, exactly as we saw in the Matrix Awakens on Series S. But I've got a question for you about that, Alex. Um, What's that? Obviously, Series S has got... Uh, sorry, Unreal Engine 5 has a whole bunch of fallback mechanisms uh, sure. that don't require hardware ray tracing. So were you surprised to see that hardware RT was still used in Series S as opposed to those fallback mechanisms? Yeah, I actually was because um, they technically would, especially on AMD hardware, be cheaper. Uh, They would be less fidelity at things like that. Uh, But I think the reason why they didn't want to do that, that that would be actually a viable way to make that demo run faster and maybe be even higher resolution and things like that on Xbox uh, Series S. But I imagine they didn't want to do it for the sake of this demo because it was a proving ground to make this 
Unreal Engine 5 look and run viably, even with the most hardcore feature set on Series S. So they wanted to show, I think really Matrix demo was showed more towards developers, even more so than it was <laughs> uh, people that play games because it disappeared from the marketplace. You can't even download it anymore. Uh, so it's obviously there. It was there to make a mindset for developing audience to a certain degree and say, this is what we can do. And the coalition went in there and they did a really good job optimizing the Series S version. So let's, I actually think it's a really good idea to mention the fact that there are fallbacks um, for moments when uh, the hardware ray tracing, for example, with uh, Unreal Engine 5 is too much performance because it is more expensive uh, in some aspects, like it depends on the scene, but it can be more expensive. For example, if there's like a large reflection right in the full view, right? right? right. <laughs> that makes sense. It'll be more expensive because it's doing much more accurate tracing at that point in time. But it can be less expensive if you were to try and achieve that same thing in the software mode. That's basically it. But if they do want to fall back to the software mode on something like Series S, in the presentations, I think it was at SIGGRAPH in the advances in real-time rendering category, uh, Epic had two presentations, and one was covering Lumen itself, and they showed off that uh, for the software ray tracing mode, uh, when they initially demoed it on PlayStation 5, it was using like a higher preset, uh, and that was when it was like 1440, 1080p to 1440p internally, like DRS, and it was targeting 30, and that was around like, I think a little bit more than eight milliseconds per frame just to do Lumen. And using the new high mode they developed, um, below that on the PlayStation 5, that is like something like, I think it was either 3.55 or 4 milliseconds. So it's like half the time on the PlayStation 5 to get a, at least for like open world looking areas, a similar level of quality. Um, so they've been iterating on the software mode quite a bit since then. And I actually do think it is a very viable way to get Unreal Engine 5 running on something like Series S for like a smaller memory footprint and a much better utilization of the GPU to get a higher res at that point. So that is actually a really good point, Rich. And I'm curious to see what developers do over time. <laughs> I'm very curious to see what they do. Yeah. Okay, John, any final thoughts on Series S? Oh, I think that's, we, we've kind of covered a lot of ground on that one, but... You know, I agree with you, even though it's a digital only machine, it is a, it's a nice little box. It's, it's well engineered and, uh, I think it's proven very popular. So, so that's basically uh, your biggest issue with it. It doesn't have a disc drive. Yeah, exactly. It would have <laughs> been cool if it was just like, you know, like a centimeter and a half taller and it had a thin disc drive, right? Like, couldn't they have yeah. done that? I don't know. Maybe they could have. They could have done that. They could have put in more memory. They could have given it a wider memory interface. They could have done a bunch of stuff. They could have done, yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially and, if they're you know, still potentially losing money on this thing. Well, <laughs> you know, the implication was they're losing $100 per so, uh, unit on that, yeah. which wouldn't surprise me, right? Because, you know, there's a lot going on in that box. Mm -hmm. And especially bearing in mind the price points that we're seeing for, for technology at the moment, you know, it's it's kind of a wonder that there is that option at all. I think that has actually turned out to be a contentious decision that's kind of worked out uh, because the economic situation has turned out to be even more dire than we thought it would be in 2020. So yeah, interesting stuff. Okay, I think that's all we've got to say about that at the moment. Um, but I guess once we start seeing those UE5 titles, then uh, we'll get a real indication of how this you know, little machine's holding up. Uh, but let's move on to the next news topic. Staying with Microsoft for this one, uh, this week Forza Horizon 5 received a major patch um, that added a whole bunch of uh, features on PC. Um, hardware accelerated ray tracing in-game, it's happening. 
Yes. Ooh. And um, we've also had the introduction of DLSS um, and uh, FSR2 and DLA, D, D, DLAA. Um, yeah, so a question here from supporter mm. Peter Schmo. Hi, guys. Any thoughts on the new Forza Horizon 5 update that added RT, DLSS and, and FSR? And uh, John, you have some thoughts. I have been playing it again with these new features and I tested them all. Uh, first of all, I will say I, I was testing this running on a 4090. So uh, performance is, let's say, no issue. That thing is absolutely <laughs> jammed. There is no way to cause it to drop from 120 frames per second on my setup. It just That's where it's going to run with, at 120. With DLSS or without? Without, with, doesn't matter. No matter, <laughs> no matter what the settings are, maximum everything, it's just 120 FPS. It never hiccups. So... I tested them all out. So the first thing I will say is that DLSS and FSR actually, I would say, are not the best fit for this game's visual style because they have so much single pixel thin like detail all around the power lines, which, you know, there's other ways to tackle that. All the foliage and such. It So it does help with the foliage in terms of cleaning up the temporal stability of it, which was a huge problem with MSAA because there's no coverage there. Uh, but it does sort of create this effect when you're driving that like the thinner objects, uh, also the cars themselves have a lot of very precise lines on it, which is why I think they're so fond of MSAA and that stuff. It's kind of, you know, it feels like you're just trading one issue for another and they both look good. Uh, you know, and MSAA of course has its own problems. So none of those are perfect, but it does indeed you know, I would assume improved performance in cases where you're bound by, you know, your GPU. GPU. But I will say, though, the, the DLAA option is fantastic. And that is now the my preferred option for this one, because DLA, DLAA, it's tough to say, uh, it maintains the native resolution that you've selected. So um, in my case, I'm using 3840 by 1600. So 21 by 10 ultra wide. And it's using NVIDIA's uh, deep learning to sort of em enhance that. And it does absolutely do that. It's a very effective anti-aliasing technique. It cleans up all the foliage shimmering and all the temporal instabilities that are still pretty visible in this game, I would say. Uh, and it just makes it look phenomenally good. It's super clean. The only thing I would say is by default, it starts out at like a 0 0.5 sharpening. Uh, turn that to zero. I think it looks much better at zero. I don't Yeah. The, the sharpening artifacts are n not great. It adds a lot of edge ringing to the movement, which looks uh, yeah, that, kind of ugly to my eyes, right? That's something that a lot of developers are doing with DLSS. Um, and it has like, DLSS's sharpening has a different like image response than FSR sharpening. Like, like for example, if you look at DLSS, I've never covered this really in a video before because I haven't looked at the one title where it was really evident and that was Red Dead Red Dead Redemption. Damn these words. RDR2. Red Dead, Red Dead, RDR2. Um, where, where, like, if you look at the sky there with the default sharpening in the game, it causes, like, exposure flicker against mm. the sharpening, and it, like, makes it look really stand out and weird. And that's something that you don't get with FSR when you turn on sharpening there. And I don't know what it is, is about DLSS that does it. Um, but here, a lot of developers, and tons of them, when they implement DLSS, they leave, like the sharpening level higher because they like the way it looks in a static image and don't think about the effects 
on a moving image. I think yes. that's what I would have purport. And here, much like I saw in Spider-Man, much like in God of War, eventually when they added it in, it's a really good idea to turn down sharpening, actually. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with John completely. Yeah. I will say, though, um, between FSR and DLSS, FSR had more visible artifacting overall with some like weird like sort of repeating patterns that you kind of notice when you're driving around in motion but neither was perfect so but then we have the uh the ray tracing feature which kind of just feels like they're enabling what modders had already enabled and alex you covered in the past where uh during the race it seems to primarily just add reflections to the player car which is nice because you get those like you know inner surface reflections cars have a lot of metallic and shiny materials that are stacked on top of one another you know spoilers the mirrors all kinds of stuff even little air vents and just everything having that actually reflect in on itself looks pretty good when you're driving in the third person mode uh it does seem that when you go to photo mode actually though uh that's where you enable ray trace reflections on all the different cars in the race so like the the AI cars as well. So you can actually see reflections of your car and another car, including transparency reflections, which is nice. Uh, but while driving, I would say the impact is relatively minor, you know, and it, it it got me thinking about the nature of reflections on cars in a racing game when you're driving around and that um, it it is a little bit tricky, I guess, to see if... It, to, to determine if it's actually worth worth doing i think it is worth doing but the effect is more subtle and i feel like this could be fed into the whole like well ray tracing doesn't do much so i'm going to turn it off kind of narrative yeah uh, right. there's other things you could do that would be a far more dramatic uh in a racing game i actually think i'd prefer like ray trace global illumination in uh, a racing game because that's something you're just gonna see all the time and really feel when you're moving through the world whereas reflections <laughs> you know their current reflection solution i think is generally totally fine while you're racing do you get do you get reflections of the other cars in your car or just your own car it's actually really hard to see this during the race like you feel like you're trying to drive into the other cars to determine this but it actually is tough to tell during the race it was only in the replays or sorry not replays in the photo mode when you stop and you can really observe the reflections you see what they're doing but Apparently there, yeah, photo mode adds additional reflections that you don't get. So it'll require a little bit more. Like, I feel like I need to look at some capture of the game and, and look through carefully. Well, the reason I raise it is, you know, back at E3, we took um, Playground and Microsoft to task right. for showing raid face reflections in cars, which weren't yeah. in the game at that point, and they were flagging it as in-game. So I was wondering if the, oh, well, the yeah. promise... It doesn't E3... seem to match that yet. It right. still seems to be a higher quality from what I can tell. Well, okay. one thing that they did, and they definitely did from the screenshots I've seen here, is that they maintain like the like the the, the reflections are kind of almost universally sharp. They don't mm -hmm. seem very um, like material dependent, and they don't That's seem right. to very much so respect like uh, like dual layer paint and things like that, uh, which is like stuff you really want. Like, those are areas, like, I think what John is also getting at, too. Like, I think Gran Turismo 7, in spite of the fact that it was just limited to, like, replays there replays in 30 and FPS. Replays yeah. Replays throw mode, and then there's something that's, like, Forza Vista there that I forget the name of, where you can, like, walk oh, yeah. around. You know, like, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Like, where 
where they made sure that it was like really respecting the materials and it was expensive and things like that. Uh, but at the same time, you got like, I would say like for the car material, it looked quite a bit better there. And John had some really good examples in his video. And that's one thing that we're kind of missing here with this. And I'm curious mm -hmm. to see how it's going to be handled with uh, Forza Motorsport 7. Because uh, that... No, 8. Oh, eight. Yeah, my mistake. Eight. Eight. <laughs> it's, um, just, it's just Forza Motorsport. It's, it's just FM now. It's the gritty reboot. The Forza <laughs> Motorsport. <laughs> the Forza Motorsport. I'm curious to see what they'll do there because the from the preview video that they put out originally uh, running on X hardware, um, just had really, really, for the most part in gameplay, like very sharp reflections, which is better than nothing, but at the same time, it's not like the thing that makes ray tracing really interesting at points, um, which is like better material response as well. So we'll see it. I, the, the one, I'm a little bit sad that it is really just <laughs> like, if to me, it feels really, I like that they added these things in, especially about the DLSS and FSR and DLAA part. That is something I wanted at the, initially at the game's launch. The initial game launch on PC had this really terrible scaling option in it where like it was just named like ultra, ultra quality, quality. And it just reduced the game's internal resolution. And it's just like, Nobody wants this. Like, it, it, and it also had a lot of knock-on effects with like the way AO applied applied mm. to the game, the way um, uh, what is it called? LOD values were handled. It looked really bad. Uh, so something like DLSS and FSR will do that much better. And it's I was always really sad that they didn't have at least DLSS there at the game's launch. So bravo to them for that. But the one thing that is mm -hmm. less bravo is the fact that like the extreme option here is still weirdly limited for like in-game ray tracing like they obviously have the ability to ray trace anything they want <laughs> they're the developer here they have the control over this and yep. it's the extreme preset and it's kind of not so extreme for being an extreme, extreme preset it's not super extreme yo um so I, it's a little bit of a shame and i wonder if it's just kind of arbitrarily set for some reason um but yeah uh it we'll feels like there's a lot of headroom yeah. still that's the thing on modern gpus like yes. when running their benchmark, the the forty nineties going between seventy to eighty percent utilization during the benchmark <laughs> at one hundred and twenty frames per second with at fourteen DLA wide eye, yeah, as yeah, twenty one by ten widescreen, yeah. 4K, so like... you know, obviously, there's still headroom there. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, that's a very fast card, of course, but it would be cool if extreme was actually extreme. That would be <laughs> cool enough. Okay, let's move on to our next news topic. Uh, this one, yes, we're still in patch territory. Uh, Sackboy, a big adventure. Um, we basically gave it a really hard time, justifiably so, uh, during the DF Tech Reviewers. Um, the first play experience was, to put it frankly, dire. And it all comes down to shader compilation uh, stutter. Um, literally yesterday, I believe, a patch dropped. And uh, it prompted this question from supporter Chris Toffin. I'm assuming that's what it is. Um, this isn't a question per se, but an interesting topic to discuss would be the Sackboy patch that came out this morning that addressed shader compilation stutter. If Sumo Digital can fix it within a week of Alex's video going live, what will it take for more developers to address this issue prior to Unreal 5's future revision automating the PSO gathering process? So, um, yeah, I guess that's a, a, an interesting point. You've looked at the patch, Alex. I guess the key question is, does it resolve the shader compilation stutter issues? And I guess the question following that would be, if it does, how come it shipped in that state in the first place? All okay. right. Well, so let's start with the first thing. The um, When you load up the game now, and I'll be setting 
Oliver video here. When you load up the game now, what it does, as you can see here, is that I've got RTSS running in the corner, River Turner Statistics Server. And you can see that the I'm running this on a Ryzen 5 3600 machine, and you can see that it's just going to town on the CPU there. CPU utilization is just skyrocketed. The frame rate, the real frame rate that FCAT is picking up here is like really low. It's like one, just like two frames per second at a time and things like that. The intro videos are now stuttering. Right now, what is happening in the background as the game is being started for the first time after being installed again is that it is compiling as many shaders as possible. It would appear to be that way. Um, and it does this all throughout the beginning load of the game and it takes more than a minute now. It was quicker before uh, and it ran better before the first time you load up the game, as in these intro videos that are just FMV files being played back at you. Um, but now when you do get in game, and I'm showing side by sides here of my initial playthrough on this machine, same settings on the left and the other ones on the right, you can see that there are no shader compilation stutters, the ones that picked up there before. Uh, so the really hilarious one after the screen flashes white, and it just goes into the town where it literally goes to like zero FPS on the Ryzen 5 3600 for like a full second. It's just like zero. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, so, so, and I played also through the first level again, getting to the second level and all the shader compilation starters, like when you punch an object for the first time, when you break an object for the first time, when you see something for the first time, an enemy attack happens the first time, whatever, they all are not there anymore. So, they did that all. Bravo, Sumo, or whoever was handling the port. It's not exactly clear who handled the port here because it just says Sumo, and I just assume it is in the menu, and it also says that on Steam. So bravo them for doing this in response so, so quickly. Um, I think the game now is so much better as a result. If I were to review it in this state, I would have not talked about this at all. I would have spent all the time in the video talking about all the things I like uh, in, the, in the game, for the most part, other than that weird issue with the frame rate cap. Um, and I think that is, that is still really there? There was still the uh, camera stutter issue. That the was... camera stutter is still there if you put the frame rate to unlimited. Um, that is not cool, but like I think at least getting a 60 FPS, 120 FPS presentation working when you're there is good. I think that's fine enough for most games. That's cool. I, I can complain about that all day, though. Um, I think this is the key issue, and they did fix it, so good on them. But this is literally just like one week after I put out my video. Like, I think I put it out like yeah. last Thursday or Friday, uh, Thursday, Wednesday. When was it, Rich? I forget. Um, but it's like <laughs> been one week. And yes, there was a little bit. There was a thread of about five pages long uh, on the Steam forums about this. And there was a little bit of uh, social media talk about it, mainly just referencing me. <laughs> and, and, and then saying, Alex, you're going to cover this? I'm like, okay, I will. Um, and I covered it. And obviously, that is, I would assume, the reason maybe why this was put into place. And they fixed it so quickly. And this is, goes back to the question that Rich posed to me and that was hinted at by the supporter question is, why wasn't it like this at launch? And I honestly, at this point in time, based upon the fact that it happened within one week, and it seems almost like a total solution based upon everything I played in the first chapter of the game, which was originally just like a stuttery mess, um, it really tells me that there's just something weird that happens in the publishing cycle about what is approved and what is seen as okay at that point in time. Like. I don't want to put blame at anyone, but the, 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 the one thing that can be blamed very simply is just the, the decision to say that this is publishable. And 
I don't think it is publishable with Shader Compilation Stutter at this point in time anymore when you have a giant AAA-backed company. Um, so that decision was made poorly, whoever was responsible for that. And the fact that it was changed in one week, though, points to the fact that this is a surmountable thing, that developers can totally fix this <laughs> with enough know-how, apparently, that it does one takes one week. Um, my goodness, like, so why are we still getting games shipped in this manner is just baffling at this point in time. It's been, I've been talking about this explicitly in the current form. I want to say it has to have been since Kena last year is when I really started to really talk about it, like explicit, like, this is the problem. I'm going to show you why it happens. Um, and since then, we've just gotten tons of games that have this issue and only a handful of them have fixed it. Um, so I don't know, man. Uh, I really think that I wish I could almost re-review Sackboy, but I'm not going to at this point. This this is going to count as my re-review right here, that it's now a much better game. It's definitely worth it to play. Um, but I really wish it was never launched in the state it was launched in. So I'm really... <laughs> it's just a sad situation all around. Sad Sackboy. I guess my question, Alex, is um, Sumo have turned this around in a week. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all games that have this problem could be turned around in a week, does it? I mean, um, I think there's been there was some discussion around the Ascent and how they fixed the Ascent, which had similar problems to this, and it seemed to be a lot more than a week's work, from what I can gather. Well, for them, the so one thing that was really interesting about the Ascent's development is it didn't have a dedicated like um, low-level engineer. It was a entirely artist. Uh, like gameplay programmer driven uh, development. It didn't have like a strict rendering engineer on the project at all. So it was like a very new realm for them. And I, Tor Frick uh, has talked about this a ton on Twitter and uh, a ton elsewhere, I believe as well. I think there was maybe even a presentation um, where they mentioned that this is like a completely artist gameplay programmer driven development. So the fact they were more at that point in time overwhelmed with the technical necessity of figuring out what the heck was going on and then getting to do it which was not actually easy at all and i think that gets back to what you're asking was it possible here perhaps for sackboy due to the nature of the game and who was developing it and i'm gonna have to probably say yes there because sackboy is at the end of the day a really linear game um you kind of like go to certain levels and there is a little bit of branching path in them they have actually, you know, a really linear set piece way. They always show like the same enemies each time, the same effects each time when you go back. And so a playthrough of the game uh, is actually not that hard to generate a PSO cache in comparison to other titles like The Ascent, which is actually kind of like really sprawling and has a ton of crap. <laughs> you know, it's not an easy game to get, wrap your head around to get a full playthrough of. Uh, so I think they also had that as well, that issue as well. Uh, and they also used things like Niagara Particles, which I'm very certain Sackboy does not use, um, which have problems with actually being cached at all. I'm pretty sure Unreal Engine 4 doesn't cache Niagara Particles. Um, so they had that issue as well, and they had to come up with a different solution than even the PSO caching scheme that Unreal Engine 4 provides. So I think they had a they had a harder time at this than I would imagine Sackboy had. Uh, that still doesn't excuse it, though, I think, for, for a AAA project. I think this is a well-known issue yeah. at this point in time, and I just really never wish it didn't launch that way, man. Yeah. Okay. 
I think that's a pretty comprehensive <laughs> reply to that one. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, and in the interests of time, let's move on to the next discussion point. It's another patch. Halo wow. Infinite uh, received a major update um, to, to uh, accompany its its new feature set. Uh, question is, have any of our existing niggles been addressed? Um, there's some good news here, right, John? Yeah, there is some good news and some bad news, but... Uh... <laughs> So I've been replaying the campaign again, parts of it on my PC actually this time. And uh, I guess one of the big complaints that we had back when the game first launched, it may seem minor to many, but it was the cutscenes uh, where the facial performance, the lip sync, everything was updating at essentially 30 hertz, uh, regardless of your actual rendering frame rate. So if you're playing at 120 frames per second, the faces, the facial expressions would update at just 30. It looks very strange. And it was especially curious because even the uh, infamous 2020 demo, uh, which ended up looking, I think, better overall than the final game, weirdly enough, uh, did not have this problem at all. Mm -hmm. And so we were a little bit confused by what caused this, but ultimately, I guess the news here is that they fixed it. And facial expressions now look correct. They move at the at the proper frame rate. It's much, much smoother. Uh, Cutscenes, though, are not flawless, I would say, still. There's there's that occasional sort of judderiness to the camera, right, Alex? Where it's, yeah. it's not really... It's not actually a frame rate drop, per se. It's something with their camera system. Yeah. And, uh, it was really bad at launch. They massively improved it, but it's still not perfect. Yeah, there's like little examples I'll send back and forth to you to Oliver that, that just shows like <laughs> the camera isn't perfect always, even though it really should be. Um, but it's way better than it was at launch, as I've also sent Oliver here side-by-sides of the launch version and the now version. Uh, it does look a lot, lot better now. So I'm really grateful for that. But so that was added in this patch, and that's nice to see. Uh, this is the kind of animation quality I would at least have expected at launch. Yep. So... This is what I wanted at launch, so I'm happy that that's there. But there are some other things that are still not fixed here. Um, the mm-hmm. the eternal problem of VSync on Halo on PC is still not right. Here's footage of just just look at the frame time graph. Just look at the frame time graph, and then there's a frame drop for no reason on an RTX 4090 Core i9-1200K. Just targeting 60, not even anything impressive in terms of frame rate there targeting 60 and it drops frames and it's a periodic frame drop that has been in there since launch when you turn on vsync uh and in the first 30 minutes of play i just did with this it happened more than 40 times which means it happens less you know like once every 40 some seconds or so on pc and sometimes it happens more than every 40 seconds but that's just the average so you're just getting random frame drops for no apparent reason just because the vsync is broken and Mm -hmm. that is not like that is like a a core issue about a game's presentation which is in there since launch and it's just like once again just like a big question mark over my head as i just think like they added in all these skins they did all these but they didn't fix that and it's just like well, why is different that different teams right but i know but it feels like project money needs to be put somewhere else at that point I in time agree. like that's the point it's not it's not the engineer's fault at this point I would never no. blame those people for this. It's just no, like no, no, project, no. project management decisions that for some reason focus on uh, MTX and or season stuff instead of focusing on like a, like a literal core complaint that I, I think I spent like 
five minutes in the video explaining it when I did the initial, the review version, because it was in there since the beta. And I was like, please fix this after the beta. And they, they didn't. Did not. They did not. Uh, but Rich also has some more stuff. Yeah, to, to recap, the core point is that you can you can get around it by using um, the GPU control panel level pre-sync. Mm -hmm. The issue being then you can't use dynamic resolution scaling within the game effectively. Yeah, you can. Um, which, and bearing in mind that it's, let's be generous here and say it's not the best PC version of the game, um, and GPU performance is, is not great, uh, you kind of want that DRS feature to be working. But you can't 100%. with that with that um, compromised VSync. Yeah, when I first there. played it on PC with a with my prior card, I actually had to cap it at eighty frames per second. Because so I would do one hundred and sixty hertz output and then do half mm -hmm. um, right. eighty, and that actually worked okay as long as it didn't drop frames. So the problem is obviously uh, if you drop frames, then you're going to run into a problem with fluidity as well. Yeah, Forty ninety though, just kind of. I just set it to 120 hertz and have been unable to drop the frame rate at all in this game. 133% scale, everything absolutely maxed out, and it just doesn't, it, it never drops frames. Genius. Is, uh, well, outside of occasional traversal stutters, which is a completely separate issue. Uh, but yeah, if you don't have the hardware, that's that's a bummer. But the the issues when you drop below the cap, uh, that actually is affects Xbox. And Richard, you actually just tested this right before we recorded <laughs> Yeah, it's still um, not fixed. Yeah, basically, inconsistent frame pacing is still there, as we've reported since the first flights. Um, 30 FPS doesn't present evenly. This is on Xbox Series X. Um, 30 FPS doesn't present um, evenly. Uh, if you've got your um, Xbox set to 120 hertz, but you're playing at 60, then you get inconsistent frame delivery there as well. So you kind of need to set your console to, to 60 hertz output to fix that. 120 hertz is the same as it, as it was. It's not quite there. It doesn't, you know, once you're in the open world, you start to drop frames, but at least, you know, there well, is an inconsistent delivery there. The, the problem there, though, is that VRR doesn't work correctly still. Yeah. Yeah, so and... It, it, that... report, it reports the values correctly, but it doesn't actually look fluid to the eye. You can actually see the judder as if there were no VRR, which makes the 120 hertz mode on Series X kind of not great because yeah, it does drop you want a lot VRR. in the open world. Absolutely. Uh, but not much. Like the frame drops are not that significant. And with VRR, you wouldn't even notice, but it doesn't work correctly. Yeah, it's so, you know, key technical issues we've been highlighting for well over a year now still haven't been addressed. I got this question from supporter Selwyn Niples. The newest Halo Infinite patch is out <laughs> with some great additions. However, V-Sync and G-Sync are still very broken. Can you explain why my G-Sync display works for everything except Halo Infinite? G-Sync is very hardware based and simple in essence. What are they doing with the engine that breaks it? And how would a theoretical DLSS frame generation edition fit into this? Right. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that, mm. uh, well, the first one is just what John said. So, like, um, G-Sync doesn't work here, or FreeSync on Xbox or VRR, variable-free yeah. VRR doesn't work. Because, yes, it does uh, do an in-between frame, and you're seeing... Like it does actually drop the frame, and the very and the refresh rate of the monitor will change that moment. But the animation that it is showing on screen is like what it would have looked like anyway with VSync on. 
Yeah. That's what it, you're seeing. <laughs> so it is generating a different, a new frame that has different TAA and little speckles. So our frame tools are going to be like, yeah, that's great. Um, but like, it doesn't, it's not what your lines of your eye. It's like the equivalent when I complain mm -hmm. about camera and animation stutter yep. in games. It's, it's yep. like that. That's what we're seeing there. Uh, the DLSS3 thing is very curious because technically DLSS3 just looks at the previous and the, the second, the, the two frames, and it does an in-between frame for the distance in between them, the motion of the animation in between them. And so it would fix um, the aspect of you'd get like a higher frame rate that would show in-between frames just fine, but they would still, because they're based on frames that are dropping in a weird way anyways, where they're showing non-linear animation due to the V-Sync mm -hmm. weirdness, it would actually still look not right. It would just look... It would probably look worse, actually. It, yeah, it's... Exacerbate, potentially. It would look a little weird. And, like, this is the thing which, where Rich said a very wonderful phrase in his review of the 4090 where he said, garbage in and garbage out. So, <laughs> where, uh, you know, like, if you plug in that weird behavior into DLSS3, it'll just amplify that weird behavior at a higher frame rate. Uh, so you'd still see the same issue, just... Maybe it'd be a little bit less noticeable because the frame rate or the differences between frames are smaller at that point. Uh, but it would still be there technically, for sure. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next news topic. Um, obviously, there was a massive U-turn from NVIDIA a while back where the RTX 4080 12 gigabyte version was um, quote unquote unlaunched. Um, which made many believe that the product had actually been cancelled when in reality um, it was just going to be rebadged. And um, yes, it seems to be the case now that um, the 4080 12 gigabyte will become the 4070 Ti. And uh, there are rumors circulating that it'll be launching early January, which, you know, kind of makes sense because those um, cards would have been fabricated, manufactured. Um, I guess the delay is simply required to um, literally rebadge them, create new packaging and whatnot. Alex, what do you think about this? Um, changing the name isn't enough, is it? The, no. They've got to change the price as well. Yeah. The, I, I, you know, the original launch price was, forgive me. 899. 899S, thank you. Um, that was not, at that point in time, a good price. And after whatever... AMD is going to launch, it is also going to be an even worse price. And it, it, I actually think it, it cannot even come back in a hundred USD cheaper form at this point in time, uh, due to the fact that uh, for, you know, 200 uh, US dollar above that at that point in time, you'd be already, or actually just a Hundred. It's a hundred. Yeah. I mean, if it was eight nine nine, you're in R. You're in um, seventy nine hundred XTX territory. Yeah, which is which is really bad territory to be in because you'd be getting incredibly higher rasterization performance at that point in time, based upon the specs that AMD have put out so far. This is not based upon any review material or anything like that. Um, and ray tracing performance is a really still like a big question mark. We need to get our hands on there. We need to see the independent reviews for AMD there. But even then, you don't want to have a card that is so comparatively worse off than the nearest tier competitor in a price point and then ride on brand and feature set alone. That is not enough, I don't, I don't think, for a card that is starting to reach that mid-range territory where people are more 
more conscious about price performance than elsewhere. Like at the high end, the Halo projects, the, the Halo stuff, the 4090, that's just a class of its own of consumer and also a class of its own of like product. Uh, when you start getting down lower in price here down the stack, price performance becomes more and more important. Uh, brand stuff is still, of course, there, but it is not all the only thing driving this. And I think that is just a bad value proposition. I think it, when it does come back, I almost feel like the 4070 Ti is like almost like a wrong name at this point in time. Like it should almost be a 4070. And it, I think it should be even cheaper, like a good deal cheaper, like 200 more. I think I've posted this on Twitter, like 200 US dollars cheaper and more, maybe. That's how I feel about this. Yeah. So that would be 699, which would put it into line with the 3080 10 gigs uh, MSRP at launch two years I'd ago. I'd like that. I'd like that. Yeah. So you would be seeing um, some increase in performance there, um, but I sus my gut is telling me it's going to be 799, and I think it's not going to be enough. And um, well, we'll, we'll we'll there's a big discussion to be had about Nvidia pricing, which I think is going to come to a head with the 4080 16 gig um, reviews that will drop next week. Um, but in the meantime, I'm really curious to see how the stack. Uh, continues downwards. What's the 4070 going to look like? What's the 4060 going to look like? Um, how much will they be? What sort of performance are you going to get? Um, because there seems to be, well, that if we looked at the last generation, basically we saw uh, really nice increases in performance per dollar, um, basically from 3080 downwards, right? But mm -hmm. then from 3080 Ti upwards, the, the the value proposition was all out of whack. And it seems to be the strategy from NVIDIA that rather than continue, you know, 3080 down, they're doubling down on 3080 Ti up. And I think this is going to cause big problems. Mm -hmm. um, I guess also the question is if the 4070 Ti comes out and it is significantly cheaper than um, the 899 that it was initially going to be asked, uh, uh, that was the initial asking price, um, it calls into question just how much the NVIDIA margin is stroke was and the extent to which, you know, it's yeah. it's all about profits and, and, and all of that uh, unpleasant discussion. The price point hasn't shifted on the 4080 16 gig. And um, yeah, I mean, we kind of need AMD to come in strong here with a competing product that is um, that is really good. But, you know, I don't think we're seeing disruption again. I think another opportunity for disruption has been, um, uh, has been, uh, I wouldn't say squandered, but, you know, the feature set isn't up with NVIDIA. That's, that remains clear, right? RT still isn't as strong. Yeah, it's not so, the strong suit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm curious to see how all of this is going to be shaking out. I see it as a test of the power of the NVIDIA brand in terms of shifting GPUs um, over and above value propositions. And I really don't, I think what, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Alex, where you, <laughs> I raised the point and you said <laughs> you had a similar shower moment, yeah. uh, which is what, you know, <laughs> what is, what is NVIDIA's game, uh, game plan here? Is it to become like the Apple of GPU vendors? Cause we don't, we don't want that to happen. Apple kind of like set their own standards, set their own products, set their own price points, which are massively higher than competing products elsewhere. Elsewhere. But because they've got, you know, um, 
uh, a certain degree of brand loyalty, people are sticking with those products and paying the extra prices. I wonder, you know, I, I think that would be a mistake for NVIDIA to follow suit. Yeah, I don't think that would be good for the market at all. And I think it would be, I don't think it would be good for them too. I really, I actually get this feeling this is like a rude awakening. Uh, and one thing that I really don't want to see this generation is for the love of God, if NVIDIA has another like, tries to put out a six gigabyte or like an eight gigabyte GPU while the AMD tier at the same thing is like, 12 or 16 i'm gonna have to like scream i'm so like because at this point in time like you had something like the the 3070 and then the 3060 like last gen where the 3070 is eight gigabytes but it's like 2080 ti level of performance and then you had the mm -hmm. 3060 which is a lot lot slower like so much slower in comparison but has 12 gigabytes of vram and the thing is when you get into these like when you get into these higher like that 3070 level of performance, like 4K is actually super reasonable from a shading and compute perspective, but the VRAM is such a limiter. It's like uh, really turns like the utility of the card quite a bit down. And it's something I complained about when the 3070 came out and I just didn't get it. And especially in light of the competition, what AMD was putting out there. And if they do that again with the mid tier where it's like super VRAM squeezed, and still at these higher price points, my goodness, I am not going to be happy. It's, you could <laughs> say it's the, it's the Series S of GPUs. It's the Series S of GPUs. The 30s. With higher price tags. <laughs> With higher price tags. Well, I think what, you know, what has definitely come to the fore since the 3070 launched is that um, uh, ray tracing is very intensive on the GPU, not just in terms of compute, but also in terms of memory. We're actually starting to find the limits now of the 3080 10 gigabyte uh, with Marvel Spider-Man, for example. It's it's not, you know, a massive problem at the moment. It's easily, you can circumvent it easily, but ray tracing applications are only going to become more demanding. So yes, I, I would echo that. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see how this all sort of shakes out. But 4070 Ti at 12 gig, I think is absolutely fine. Um, the question is really how cheap the 3080 12 gig will be at that point, you know, in terms of its real life, um, real world market value. And, um, you know, Ampere still has a lot to offer. Um, but I guess that's all we've really got to say about that at this time. Um, Let's move on to our final news story. Uh, John's added this one to the sheet. Quickly discuss Mega Drive Mini 2. I've got a unit and it's neat. Yes. And um, <laughs> it's a shame we can't do a full, full review on this. Um, although maybe we could find time at some point. I don't yeah, know. I was thinking I might do a live stream at some point. Uh, okay. Mm, that's a cool way. That, that could be a fun way to, to do it. Because fundamentally, this is a continuation of the work they did on the original Mega Drive Mini 2. Or the original Mega Drive Mini. And here it is. <laughs> There it is. It's cute. I nice. have a cartridge in there. It's a Genesis cartridge or whatever. That's all I had. Uh, it is based on, obviously, the Model 2 unit, but I think this was originally intended primarily for Japan, so all the Western units still have this little flick switch here, which mm. is not on the American Genesis 2 and the European Mega Drive Mini 2. It was actually a push button like this for the power. So uh, that's a little weird, but other than that, the design's still really slick. It's got the little... The little slap that this thing that comes off it's a little plastic uh, cover this is where you would attach the mega cd to uh if you remember and you know the working cartridge slot everything those little touches i love that stuff 
it's it's you know mini consoles have been around for a long time but they always put a nice attention to detail into that design uh but again this was uh developed the software side is done by m2 in japan and is very well known for quality and they've put a lot of cool extra bonus features in this thing that I like. Uh, first of all, it does come with a six-button pad, which is great. But um, great. what I really like, what I really like this time is they've included both Sega CD games and uh, some special ROMs releases as well. So my favorite of this is Space Harrier One and Two. So Space Harrier Two, I think, was a launch game for Mega Drive in Japan, and it. You've probably played that, Rich. The Mega Drive Space Harrier 2. It's pretty yeah. choppy and ugly looking. Yeah, it's not great. So what M2 did was essentially re- they, they created a virtual enhanced system. And when you boot it up, it actually has a little boot up animation that says Sega Mark V, which was the code name for Mega Drive in development. Uh, and they've essentially expanded the VDP to allow for true hardware scaling. So they've managed to reprogram <laughs> Space Harrier 2 and port Space Harrier 1 to the system. You got both games there. They only run at 30 frames per second, and there's an optional mode that removes some of the flicker you get. But otherwise, it's so much closer to actual Space Harrier now that you get this proper smooth update of the terrain. You get sprites scaling in and out. So it's closer to like, you know, the 32X version, basically, instead of the original choppy Mega Drive version, which didn't have real scaling at all, which is what's cool. The, Unfortunately, the 32X uh, version 30? Uh, 32X version is, it targets 60, but it has slowdown. So it kind of goes okay. between 60 and 30. This one is just like a locked 30. And, That's you know, better. for the Mega Drive, it's pretty good. It, it It's convincing. Uh, I, I think that's very cool that they spent time doing that. Also, M2 has a huge Fantasy Zones fan working for them, and so he did a new arcade port of Fantasy Zone 1, which looks very close to the arcade game now on the Mega Drive, which is super cool. I like that. They also did little things like Truxton, or Tatsujin as it's known. Truxton. It was an early, it's an, it's an early uh, vertical shooter from Toa Plan. Uh, hmm. but the, the Genesis Mega Drive version has a problem where Due to some sound driver issue when they released it, the music plays it at too fast a speed, right? It's always done that on the real cart. So it's like too fast. It's like playing a PAL game at 60 hertz. Uh, but M2 actually added the option to, to play it at the correct arcade music at the normal speed, which is really cool. They also added a mode to Thunder Force 4, uh, which removes slowdown pretty much because that game was known. It pushes the system hard. It has slowdown. They fixed that which is super cool. Uh, they added Virtua Racing, which uses the SVP chip, which was Sega's answer to the FX chip on Super NES. I think it's the only game on the system with a helper chip. And hmm. that runs well. It's 15 frames per second, but that's like double, you know, Stunt Race FX or Star Fox, which is cool. And then you got Sega CD stuff on there, Mega CD, uh, which is really cool. And if depending on the language you select, you get the different versions. So it has like Sonic CD has the US european and japanese versions but if you run the european version it runs slow at 50 hertz but within a 60 hertz container so it's really bad Mm. so don't do that (laughs) but some of the sound balancing is a little bit weird like i felt like some of the music was a little too quiet in some of those games versus the sound effects um also the japanese version of this thing got a better lineup of sega cd games including both lunar games and uh, potful mail which I think they couldn't get the Working Designs Translations versions for a decent price, so they didn't license them. So you oh, don't darn. get that in the U.S. Uh, 
There's also a couple duds on here. Like for whatever reason in the West, they included the, the mega drive Genesis version of clay fighters, which is absolutely dreadful. I don't know if you guys played <laughs> clay fighters, but it is a terrible game. I, I don't clay understand fighters. why it's here. I, I hate that game. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. So that's on there. But honestly, most of the lineup is pretty good. There's some good deep cuts and, you know, you get alien soldier on here. Uh, obviously thunder force was on there. Golden Axe 2, Rystar, Restar, however you want to say it. Splatterhouse 2, Streets of Rage 3 is on here, though it's been edited, I think. If you play like Bare Knuckle 3, the Japanese version, they remove the whole waterfront stage because of one of the characters deemed kind of uh, insensitive by today's standards. So mm-hmm. they just removed it, which is a little weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a quick uh, overview, I guess. And just my thoughts. I, I like that little machine. I think... Uh, you know, I have the real hardware, so that's really my preferred way. But if I think this is a cool way to introduce some of this, the more unique parts of the library to the system. And they even have the sound simulation thing where you can choose where whether you want them to simulate Mega Drive 1 sound or Mega Drive 2 sound because they are different. Wow. Uh, that's so crazy stuff. And there's all these unreleased games, too, that were worked on back in the day, like Devil and P or whatever it's called. But some games that were canceled, they're now on here. So it's it really feels like a like a little tiny machine that M2 put a lot of love into. And it's it's cool. So I like it. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Hopefully we're able to do more with that thing because it does sound quite compelling. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. Excellent stuff. Um, let's move on to supporter Q&A. This is our part of the show where we take a bunch of questions submitted each week by supporters of the DF supporter program. We choose the best and here they come. Uh, the first one is from Stephen Milne. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation and chatter about road facing performance on the new RDNA 3 cards from AMD. However, the main show so far has been a focus from AMD on raster performance, not uh, not raid facing. Is this a reflection of how current gamers feel about raid facing? Is raid facing just a nice to have feature that doesn't matter in most uh, to most gamers? Well, that's an interesting question, right, Alex? Because um, I this is a hard question it's, because I don't speak for everyone on planet Earth. I, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's. Yeah. I think that there, there might be a bit of an issue with the question itself because the show actually had quite a lot of rate facing in it that they put in. I mean, mm-hmm. they do seem to be taking it uh, more seriously. And I think the question is, uh, if there is a bigger focus on raster performance, it's fundamentally because of the technological makeup of their card, which would have been set in stone years ago, right? Yeah, so that's kind of how I feel about it as well, too. Like, the things they presented at the show was they realized, you know, as as part of their market position and what uh, they needed to show gen on gen, they needed to talk about ray tracing, and they talked about it in terms of architectural, quote-unquote, differences. We still need to see what the white paper says about that. Um, and they also showed off a number of... Um, games, real games with real demos, and they also showed off um, some Unreal Engine 5 footage, kind of just Blanco there. And uh, so they definitely wanted to focus on it. It's just a matter of, I think that what you're talking about here, Stephen, is more like discourse. It's just like Twitter discourse or forum discourse. I feel like it's really hard to know without pegging Microsoft here and asking them or pinging um, um, Sony asking them about what modes are users using in games, or maybe GeForce Now statistics and things like that, or 
AMD's equivalent, I always forget the name of it, um, where they have an idea of what settings users are using in games. And then we get a sense of that. I don't think asking people online is actually a really good idea uh, because you're just kind of limiting yourself to those who would like to talk about this kind of things. And then it's, it's very tribal at that oh, point yeah. in time. It's super tribal. Uh, so the discourse is saying it's not about ray tracing. The discourse is saying that people just turn it off immediately and play everything at zero, um, you know, graphics with 6,000 FPS because that's <laughs> all PCs graphics. can do that. Um, so I don't trust the discourse. I don't trust the Twitter sphere. I don't trust the forum sphere to be representative here. Uh, so that's kind of what I have to say about that. I, I would love to do a, a, a real survey of just random people and or get data on this uh, from the, the, you know, the people who actually have data on it, which is, you know, Microsoft, Sony, NVIDIA and AMD, and I guess Intel now as well, too. Well, yeah, I mean, um, NVIDIA has GeForce experience, which I suggest is probably phoning home a lot of uh, telemetry about how games are actually being played and what features are being used. Mm -hmm. um, Does that mean they yeah. can determine whether you're playing it the way it's meant to be played? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think we have to look at uh, the fact that different hardware designers have different priorities, right? Um, AMD's is area. It's, you know, they they said as much in their presentation. And also it ties in with what the console developers want from Silicon. They want to have the biggest bang for the buck. And that requires uh, being brutal in terms of um, how much Silicon is actually deployed to accommodate various features. And um, so that's, I suspect, why RDNA 2 and now RDNA 3 um, has the ray tracing implementation that it has. Um, because, you know, the consoles are a massive factor in AMD's um, fortunes, right? And that kind of compatibility across the generations is another feature that they have to bake into their silicon. Whereas NVIDIA has a completely different focus on where they think hardware should be going, going and it's um, driven as much by enterprise um, needs and requirements as it is by gamers. And mm -hmm. so with Turing in 2018, we saw this kind of convergence of the features required by enterprise and gaming. And um, there was a transition point. And then we've had Intel coming into the market who have basically, you know, if we're going to say they've taken sides, they've taken sides with the NVIDIA approach. I suspect because similar to NVIDIA, they've got big designs on the enterprise segment, but also they're seeing the direction of travel in the gaming space, which is being defined by NVIDIA in the PC area. To be competitive, they've got to take on NVIDIA. Therefore, they created ray tracing hardware that they considered to be best in class. So it's basically, um, I think it, there's a lot more to it than what matters to gamers, uh, <laughs> simply <laughs> because these products are addressing more than gamers. Um, but, you know, I am quite intrigued by this philosophy that's that's coming up by people who are saying they don't turn on ray tracing because they want more frames. Um, therefore, I think there's actually, you know, when I have time, maybe in January when there isn't um, so much going on, you know, the, the, this concept of I, I don't want ray tracing because I want more frames can be applied to also to ultra settings. Mm -hmm. Why are we benchmarking raster at ultra? If, if it's all about having as many frames as possible, should we be um, benchmarking optimized settings as, uh, instead? And does that actually affect the calculus between GPUs? It shouldn't, in theory, 
but um, maybe you know until we test it, we maybe it does. And I'm also quite amused at this kind of um, concept of ben- benchmarking at Ultra because you know in a world where <laughs> Assassin's Creed Odyssey sort of like uh, uh, loses thirty percent of performance just by having the crowd uh, the the cloud setting at ultra high versus high. You know that thirty percent could be used for ray tracing features instead. Yeah. So there's yeah. <laughs> it's like there's the there's the psycho uh, setting for um, SSR reflections in uh, what is it called Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven that yeah. that like runs worse than like turning on ray traced reflections almost. It's like mm-hmm. yeah. It's like yeah. What on earth? Like no one just just like That's you're why not it's playing. It's called psycho. Alex. It's called psycho. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, John. You're right. <laughs> it, if you run, yeah, if you run Cyberpunk at, um, at uh, ultra high versus ray tracing on an NVIDIA card, there's not that much difference between them at 4K resolution, which is astonishing. Yeah. But it, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, what do you benchmark at that point? So yeah, there's some really interesting questions there. But ultimately, you know. Um, who decides the future of, of gaming technology? You know, um, there's all manner of interested parties, but essentially in 2016, um, Direct X12 Ultimate, there was a there was a beginning of you know what do we want from the future of graphics, and they decided that ray tracing was a key component of that. And then um, Microsoft went to AMD saying Xbox Series consoles, we're developing them now. We want ray tracing in there. And that's why we've got ray tracing in consoles. That's why we've got um, ray tracing in RDNA 2. And NVIDIA have been pursuing this for many, many years. And ultimately, it's going to come the point where all GPUs will have RT um, uh, capabilities of some description. And then that hardware will be more fully utilized in all game engines you know so interesting times ahead but i think you know we need to look at the concept of um of who the customers of these gpus actually are and it's not just gamers uh let's move on to the next question here this one from daniel cassace possibly sorry Perhaps. i always get the pronunciations wrong uh next week i'm taking delivery of my first gaming pc in 10 years built around a 13900k with a 4090 wow you're in for a treat daniel that's oh, all i can oh, say that's a huge piece <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have a 4k 144 hertz monitor um what is the oh, team's yeah. recommendation for the first game to play for the maximum wow factor forza horizon Ooh, uh, oh. cyberpunk or is the answer still crisis mm-hmm. thanks for the hard work as always uh, well this is a really interesting question for for you john because you've just received a 4090 that's right yeah so where did you go the first game i tried and the first one i think you should try daniel it's cyberpunk 2077 mm-hmm. crank that rt all the way up to the max and marvel at how smooth it now is it's uh it's kind of insane i mm-hmm. you can use dlss quality mode so you actually get really nice uh, image quality and you enjoy all those rays being traced with the psycho quality ray tracing settings, so you get the nice GI and everything. And uh, I still think that's the most impressive example of like ray tracing in a shipping game, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just looks unbelievably impressive to to behold, and it's it's man, it's just a gorgeous game. It's definitely a great place to start. I would also suggest uh, another one that, that that I was really impressed with was actually Control, because yep. on the forty ninety now you can crank up control all the way and it's just i mean i i'm using 120 hertz but can go higher i guess <laughs> but it's just 120 frames per second flat 
like with zero issues it's just it 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 barely breaks a sweat you feel like the fan turns off on the card sometimes it's so it's so easily striding through that at that point and that game is beautiful with all the ray tracing enabled it it's just it's it's a treat so i think those yeah, two are pretty good good places to start i guess metro is a pretty good one uh that's the enhanced edition or whatever it's called with the ray trace gi it's awesome looking I don't know what what else do you guys think? Crisis Three original version, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> you got remastered now with ray tracing. That's true. Um, yeah. So yeah, that would that would be a a, a good one. I mean, it's not going to be the best of the best, but it it looks great. Uh, Alex, thoughts? Uh, I would say also what John said, except like apparently cyberpunk's overdrive ray tracing is coming out any day oh, now. It's just like that's true. it's just it's just like in the background for some reason. Oh. They announce it and then it just like disappears for a little bit. Uh, I almost want to say wait for that to load up Cyberpunk because as amazing as it already looks, like it's just going to be like one massive step ahead when they have that path traced overdrive uh, stuff going on in there. So I almost say like wait on that just a tiny bit and then look at uh, control, pump it up, DLSS quality mode, 4K, like John was talking about. Enjoy really fast frame rates. And uh, I think that game is really beautiful, uh, even, you know, without ray tracing in a lot of ways, because it's one of the few games we've seen that, like, emphasizes effects works and destruction so much. And you're just going to love just, like, watching the place explode and it all, like, coming into the reflections and the GI and all those things. And I'll also... Perfect frame rates. And I'll also uh, second John there and say... Uh, please take a look at Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition. It's a bit more subtle because it's baked into the entire game. It's not screaming at you. Uh, but like when you get to the uh, the second stage of the game, which is uh, the Caspian Sea, and you start seeing like the rocks and uh, like the sun hitting this desert sands, it looks really, really cool. Uh, so um, yeah, definitely check those out. Rich? Lego Builder's Journey? Oh, that's another good one that I just forgot about. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's also a really cheap game as far as I know, too. So it doesn't cost a lot of money these days. Uh, it's also really easily beaten. I think I want to say, like, my playthrough was like two and a half hours at most. That, so it's like, it's a good-looking good. game. Yeah, it's good. That's, that's a that's weird also... one, though. I, I, I let my son try it the other day, and he liked the gameplay, but he wanted mm-hmm. to stop playing because he said it was too sad. He said it is the actually piano music and the way it washes away your Lego bricks during the tutorial. He said it made him sad and he didn't want to play anymore. I thought, <laughs> it is oh, actually wow. a pretty, it is a pretty sad game. Uh, but then it gets happier towards the end, of course, which is the point. It's like a, it's yeah. a, it's like a, you know, a parent-child relationship, and it's very. It reminds well me of uh, like Flower and uh, the games from that game company, where it kind of that has a very good point vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an interesting one. That's a good one. Thank you, John, for putting that out there. That's a great one. Okay, uh, next uh, question. Uh, given the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series consoles are x86-based and any future consoles are uh, likely to remain that way, the assumption would be that, like PC, backwards compatibility would be relatively straightforward. Um, with this with this theory in mind, should game developers be more forward-looking with potential backwards compatibility and have modes that have unlocked frame rates with full native resolution, enhanced detail, etc., all the bells and whistles that the current generation would struggle with simultaneously to enhance future backwards compatibility? And that's from The Dressing Gown. Uh, I don't have a problem with that, unlock frame rates. Uh, I do have a problem... Um, 
with modes that would completely yeah. collapse current gen games. Well, they can't ship that. No. That's uh, the problem, any, right? Any thoughts? Yeah, any modes added still has to be properly QA'd and tested, right? Yeah. You, I, there's no way they'd be allowed to put in a mode that effectively cripples the game, right? Mm -hmm. Like that would just that's not going to fly with anyone. Uh that won't happen, I don't believe. But what, there is an I, argument for unlocked frame rates, right? That's because... that's the one that I think absolutely should be in there. Just have that option in there. Especially okay. now, right? Even even now, because of VRR, you could still use it and it would be fine enough. And, you know, if if you allowed, like, say, 120 hertz output with unlocked frame rate, that would be extra cool because then, you know, presumably a more powerful machine could actually go all the way up to 120 frames per second. Uh, th that stuff I could totally see in there. And maybe, you know, you could have frame rate cap and resolution be like two toggles where it's like, you know, you could actually like do a high res rendering with a lower frame rate or you put them both on and you have the high res rendering with an uncapped frame rate. And that would like be good for a new machine, but maybe run not the best on the current one. But then of course, you know, just boosting res on a current machine, you could run into other issues with memory there and other problems. So again, difficult to say if it's shippable. Dynamic res would be the yeah. solution to that because that, then the new hardware would just tap into that automatically. Anything to add to that one, Alex? No, I, I love the idea of just a vSync toggle or a frame rate frame cap toggle. And it's some people have been doing it. I think like I think it's gonna be cool to see what happens with God of War in its quality mode. Uh quality mode HFR mode. That's like was it uncapped they added 120? That. Right? Yeah, so uncapped 120. Maybe the okay. next PS6 will run it at 4K 120. I don't know. That's interesting. I would I like that. But the the other thing you said, like it's really hard to imagine. One, there may there may not even be enough memory in the current machine to actually have it running. If like if, yeah. if if it means toggling on like a bunch of ray tracing stuff, maybe there's not even enough memory to do that. So it's probably not vi viable, feasible. Okay. Kind of leads us on to our final question from Joshua McCarthy. How do you think the current economic environment will impact the current R&D and planning going into the next generation consoles? And we do have some visibility on some of the thinking here based on the discussions we had with the Xbox chief architect back in 2020, where you know he envisaged, and it has come to pass, that uh, cost per transistor is essentially static, which means that if you want more logic in your GPU, you're going to have to pay for it. Um, John, we've talked in the past about uh, things that can be done to mitigate that. For example, you know, having some sort of machine learning based um, block that would allow for a DLSS style upscaling, which would, you know, essentially mean that your GPU would not uh, have to be uh, that much larger or double the size anymore. Um, but this economic environment, it's not great, is it? I mean, it's basically, mm -hmm. I, I don't think we're going to see enhanced consoles this generation simply because they'd be too expensive. Um, and next gen is probably going to be way off in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I expect this generation will last quite a while, especially given how, you know, people are still struggling to purchase some of these machines, even two years in, although it's getting a lot better. But yeah, I think mid-gen consoles are probably not going to happen now just due to the component cost and the current economic situation and how do you even sell that like we said before like last time 4k tvs were becoming more common and as a result you know it actually there was actually a selling point there where you could say well if we just you know 
upgrade the hardware in this way, we can have the similar experience, but higher res. People understand that it, it was, it was an easier thing to sell, but right now I don't know what you would sell them on exactly, especially at this point, you know, I, it it's with the way we've had cross gen as well. It does kind of feel like we're getting far more into the iterative territory though. And even a next gen machine, whenever it comes, will probably feel more like a, gpu upgrade than anything else mm-hmm. so i don't know i feel like we're just headed in the direction where the whole generation shifting is just fundamentally it can't continue the way it used to even though that was fun at the time but we're just not seeing those types of leaps and then when you add in all the economic situations and uh you know the cost of components and forecasts on this stuff i i, I don't know i i don't see anything huge coming for a while at least what do okay, you guys fair enough uh, alex uh i'm gonna t- t- tackle this in a different way um where like the current economic environment for game development is a lot of people switching to ue5 and oh, yeah. um you know getting rid of their custom engines so i'm actually imagining that uh if we are looking at i do think like or rich and john said that the this this it's going to be a very long generation of consoles. And we're looking at a lot of, like, maybe like two or three RDNA iterations in the, mm-hmm. in the meantime. And I'm curious to see if there's actually some convergence about uh, Unreal Engine 5's development and what hardware support there is for Unreal Engine 5 features. Uh, like, currently, right now, uh, like the, um, you know, Nanite is driven all through a compute shader. This like visibility buffer stuff is all compute shader mm-hmm. stuff, uh, and it's just running on general compute and is seeing no acceleration. I'm curious to see if, due to the uptick of Unreal Engine 5 usage, that hardware comes in and says, actually, you know what? Most people are using this engine right now, and we can actually hardware accelerate this and get bang for our buck for this type of vis- visuals. I'm very curious to see if that ends up happening with something like Nanite. And uh, we're already seeing a little bit of that on the NVIDIA side with what Ada can do for like micro geometry uh, and ray tracing. Uh, so I'm curious to see if it, um, future iterations of RDNA 2 actually like allow Nanite to not just be a compute trader anymore, to be like hardware accelerated and it becomes stupidly cheap at that point in time. Uh, so I'm very curious to see if stuff like that happens in the end, where there's a diff- because we can't we can only put in so much for this transistor budget. Let's use these transistors elsewhere, you know, in a different right. way to get a better bang for our buck. And that's the machine learning unit is another thing that I think would be incredible. Though, imagine if like Microsoft said like, oh, we have a machine learning thing you can just use. It's super easy. Uh, it costs this much hardware area. And by the way, I'll just run your game internally at like. I don't know, 1228p balanced mode, and it's going to look great at 4K. I think a lot of developers would really love that, actually. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everything basically means that we've got a much longer console generation. Mid-generation refresh could be done, um, but uh, it's going to be a while, and, and I don't think people have got the money to be uh, oh. investing in new console hardware. And if you have got the money, there's some amazing stuff happening on PC. That's all I can really say there. Uh, we've got an interesting thing coming up in Alex's Plague Tale video where we actually mm-hmm. try, try to con- quantify how much extra performance a, a GPU gives you versus a console, and there's some pretty hair-raising results there. And the question is really not how much higher the frame rate can go, but um, what can PC do that consoles can't? 
that is truly transformative. And I honestly think it's going to be coming down to um, parade tracing, path tracing, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, as we're seeing in Cyberpunk Overdrive and, and whatnot. In, in addition to all this, though, beyond the hardware, I feel like one of the big problems we're facing today is just the cost of development, the amount of manpower required to make stuff. Uh, it's It's increasing so much. Like creating these big games now, it takes years and years of work, thousands of people, endless budgets, you know, and then it's all like sort of like comes to a head at this release date where you need that hype cycle to actually get get people buying. You know, how do you even make all that money back? It feels like a failure right now is like cataclysmic for companies compared to where it used to be. Like, it just makes me wonder how we can continue down this path. Like pushing forward in this way obviously one of the things epic's really trying to do and really show with unreal is like simplify certain aspects of the development and like find ways to allow developers to do more with uh less effort but the fact is is like making art stuff and i don't think proc gen alone is enough you can't just generate everything and have it feel unique but uh just creating assets doing animations you know, AI and stuff can maybe help to some degree, but I feel like just that that level of like attention to detail and skill and just the quality of work that needs to be completed, it's so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, and all this is happening right now when, you know, economic situations are not great for people. You know, there's already pay issues in the industry, crunch issues going on. It feels like all this stuff is coming to a head and it makes me wonder like where games can actually go. And if we're now at the point where, the bar is so high, mm-hmm. right? That most companies can't realistically compete in that space without just just absurd amounts of money, right? Like the mm-hmm. fact that you look at some of these high-end first-party games and I start to feel like people get these expectations that this stuff should be normalized and like if you're not doing it at that level, like, what are you even doing? And mm-hmm. that's like, it's not realistic at this point. And, you know uh yeah so i don't know what you guys think about that but that's, oh, that's, that's a whole other conversation well, but yeah yeah it's, it's, okay it's, um i think we need to wrap it up there but yeah, yeah really interesting stuff uh to think about going forward um but that's it that's the end of our show please do like subscribe share if you enjoyed the content ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications as usual no guarantees there that is my disclaimer uh df support program get involved there's so much going on there so much bonus material amazing community early access to this show every week tons of stuff tons of early access it's amazing new DF um, retro all... episode right now yep <laughs> final fantasy 13 it's amazing yep. won't be seeing that on the major channel for quite some time so yes if you want to support that kind of work uh, df supports program that's where you need to be uh, but that's all from us this week and we'll see you next week <laughs>